Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome back to the KLP. Today, I'm excited to bring you my conversation with Bill Sieber. Bill is the president and CEO of Technoaid, a strong family man, elder, and school board member. I hope you find this conversation as enjoyable and helpful as I did. So let's get right to it. Bill Seaver, everybody. Enjoy. Bill Seaver, thanks for coming by. Hey, thank you very much. So Chris, Tom- Chris Thomas was on last week, I think you it was. Caught me in mid-sip. I, yeah, I, go I, ahead, man. You got all the time in the world here. Go ahead. Um, he, uh, no, this is, you're <laughs> clearly in charge here, and I'm not. <laughs> You can have as many sips as you want. One of the great things about getting a busy guy like you on the podcast is you can just sit down a little bit and drink some coffee. But like with Chris Thomas, what I told him is basically now we're at the point where to see my friends, I have to get them back, back on the podcast because I think I haven't seen you in quite some time. Yeah, we can. Well, we can change that, but that's there's probably other ways. Air. But yes. uh, hey, the last time you were on the podcast, you were. I think you were episode nine on the first Kent Lap podcast. Yes, in the first go around February of two thousand and seventeen. That's was th- that when it uh, was? That's uh, okay. three and a half years ago now. Okay, yeah, time goes really fast. Now let me ask you this, Bill. A lot has changed since then. <laughs> Your parting advice, because I was looking at my notes, and one of the interesting oh, no. things, Andrew, that I'm I used to do now. back then is I had a legal notepad, and from your podcast, I kid you not, I had three pages of handwritten notes. I must have just been like writing furiously I, as we were talking. Uh, I don't remember you looking at me one time that whole... Really? No, I'm just kidding. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, if you well, hopefully you don't remember notes. that. But yeah, I was a, a furious note taker, which I'm not doing that because I feel like this is more conversational and I'll go back and like listen to it if I need to. Anyhow, my point on the notes was your parting advice, which was really good advice, was just keep swimming. Oh, yes. Persistence <laughs> is undervalued. So let me ask you this. Do you still feel the same way? And what have you learned with in regards to just keep swimming? Because so you've been through some stuff. That, um, <laughs> that could not be more applicable to the last several years of my life. Hmm. And um, about this time last year, I actually got to speak to um, a class at Vanderbilt. And that was what I left them with was the oh, wow. finding Nemo, just keep swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and gee whiz, who knew a year ago? I mean, here we are in late October, uh, 2020 and, uh, COVID mm-hmm. and for, for me and for my work, and I guess we'll get into this is this, the, the tornado, um, that hit our business this year. And then even going back to a year. So it was, if it was February of 2017, yep. um, I completely walked away from what I had been doing for 11 years in February of 2018. So, so exactly a year after that okay. podcast, um, interview, yep. I was, I flipped over to, to a completely different thing uh, from having been self-employed for 11 years. Is that when you joined Technoaid? That is. February is. of 18. February. So you've been there two and a half years. Correct. Okay. Yes. And did you did they hire you as president or did you kind of work your way up there? Um, no, they hired me as president. And f- um, so the way I tell it is uh, uh, Technoaid had been uh, a client of mine um, mm. During over the years, and for several years, I had worked with them. They actually had a um, a sub brand, which is specifically what I worked with them on, called Updesk. So it's an adjustable height desk company. And um, Technoid is not in the Updesk business anymore, but they were oh. at that point in time. Yep. Uh, or in 2014, 
no, 2012 is when Updesk launched. And so from 2012 through 2014, um, I worked with them and then a little bit off and on. And in December of 2017, um, it was following what was a pretty rough up and down season of self-employment. And mm. as a self-employed guy for, at that point, that was, that was 11 years. I remember mm. having on many occasions talked to my wife and, and early on, I just had to tell her, you know, you're, you're on this journey with me. You're on the self-employed journey with me. Um, my wife is, is, and was a, um, stay at home mom. Now she has launched her own business. We can talk about that later. She's a personal organizer. And so she's organizing homes across Nashville. now. What's it called? Seaver Organizing Company. Seaver. S-E-A-V-E-R. Seaver Seaver Organizing Organizing Company. People can just Google it. And it will find her. it's just Nashville. It is in the Nashville area. Although she's doing virtual now because Oh, cool. So anyone listening to this could get in on that. She's had people around the U.S. reach out to her. Very cool. So so, um, until recently, and through our entire almost 20 years of marriage now, she has been a stay-at-home mom. And which is particularly stressful when your husband's uh, and your family sole income is coming um, through whatever work you get. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had always talked to her about how she had a veto card and that she could she could shut it down. I remember we talked at about any this point. last time. Too, and yeah. if she wanted to um, to get off the crazy train, just say, hey, I can't take it anymore because it is a lot of up and down. Uh, self-employment is a lot of roller coaster. You mm-hmm. can have some high highs and some very low lows. And the, um, the momentum shift from one to the other can sometimes be very dramatic. And if you don't have the stomach for it, it's, it's not, it is just truly not for everyone. Yeah. And, um, she, she, she was able to hang in there for many, many years and we saw some high highs. We saw some low lows and, uh, by, I would say late summer of 2017, she was, I, I saw her kind of reaching for that, that veto card in her pocket, kind of reaching around for it. And I was like, uh-oh, here it comes. And, and frankly, I, was, I thought, I, I, I think I'm with her. You know, I think it's just maybe time to do something else. And so that whole fall of 2017 was really about trying to figure out what, what can I do? What does it look like to not be self-employed after this long? And how, mm-hmm. how marketable am I like, what kind of resume does a self-employed person who's been consulting a bunch of businesses? Like on the one hand, it was really good, but what became very apparent as well is that the, the things that people were looking for to hire on as a full-time employee were, were not consistent with my background Mm. because it seemed a little bit too project oriented and it was very like, well, what does he actually do? What did you, you know? Sure. When it comes to resumes, people want something very safe and, right. and sort of reliable and secure. And, and I think I yep. seemed too risky to most people. Sure, um, and maybe maybe was maybe maybe I am. And so um, and so kind of where she finally played the veto card, and I said, "Hey, honey, I, I'm with you. So you're playing it. I'm ready. There was no argument. There was no fight. It was just like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, let's go. Let's mm-hmm. figure out what's next." Um, so to just keep swimming and yeah. let's be persistent and be persistent with the right attitude. I mean, you can be persistent and, um, begrudgingly move forward through your days and, and frankly drag everybody down with you. Yes, for sure. Well, I was going to ask if she sort of played that veto, veto card, did you sort of begrudge her the fact that she did that? Or it sounded like you were pretty well on board with it as well. I was, I was at that point in time, I was ready. 
had she done it six months earlier, I don't think I would have been as receptive. Okay. And so the the providential timing of all of that, I think, of just me being prepared for it, me coming to terms with some things, frankly, probably letting letting some dreams die or or just killing them off, putting <laughs> putting yeah. them out of their misery. Yeah. I think all of that just kind of came together over that period where I knew I could tell for all of 2017, she was she and I were kind of on the fence of like, how's this gonna, mm-hmm. how's this whole employment thing really gonna work? Mm-hmm. And so 2017 was truly a kind of a, a final test year. I see. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask about the dreams too, and you just mentioned it. So, you know, you you were self-employed for quite a long time, and you were into various things, and you were sort of, I guess, in some respects, at least with some of the things, right? You were following your dream, right? I mean, that's why you were self-employed and doing your own thing, and. It is, it is, it's, it's tough to kind of view that as a straight trade-off, right? Because it's not like you killed all, I hope it's not like you killed all your dreams. You just have to go make a little bit of money and you hate what you do. And, you know, all of your hopes and dreams for your life, you just have to like kill or put on pause. I mean, I hope it's not like that, but also there is a reality to, to sometimes that the hopes and dreams that you have, if they aren't working out as you hoped or expected or those types of things where you do need to make a change and I guess accept, I don't know, how would you put it? Accept a new reality? How did you think through that? Yeah, so there is certainly a new reality that becomes necessary. And I think as the husband, father of four, um, having seen my wife defer to me and things I wanted for a very long time, I was willing to do something I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Because it seemed as if um, she had put up with a lot. She had put up with riding that roller coaster for over a decade. And so if it meant um, knowing that she likes stability more than I do, if that meant that knowing that she, she needed things to just to, to cool off for mm-hmm. a bit, 12 months, 18 months, 24 months, whatever that was going to look like, I was willing to do that and, um, and be a provider rather than be a dream chaser. Mm-hmm. Sometimes those things overlap, and sometimes, sometimes they don't. Yeah. And it's great. And so a lot, of, a lot of the things you read and a lot of the stuff that you would hear people talk about is you can be both a provider and a dream chaser simultaneously, except when you can't. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah. What do you do if you can't do both? And you have to choose. And so for me, I felt like I had been able to chase a dream chase multiple dreams, try a lot of different things vocationally um, and through the, through the self-employed years and be a provider. Mm-hmm. But as the provision was beginning to, to wane and get tougher and progressively tougher and not just for a month and not just for a couple months, like for that to continue to go, like, where, what is going on here? Mm-hmm. For that to continue, um, I just had to just decide, like, am I going to keep pushing this Particularly when I would say, too, I don't know that my dream was as clear at that point anymore. I see. And okay. so, so I, I can't say that I had some vivid thing that I was pursuing. Because yeah. that's where it gets really tough. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you have a very clear thing that you want and that you're pursuing, and yet the provision is, seems to be separate from that. Yes. So that's, that's when you have the, the starkest um, difference or the starkest just sort of variance between the two realities. Yes. For me, in this particular case, and, and thankfully, I think the dream had faded a lot. I had been and done a whole lot of things. I'd been a lot of places. I'd done a lot of things. And I was like, I've, I've kind of done, this is an 11-year run 
on trying to do something that I didn't know if I'd get 12 months out of it. Sure. So I was able to stretch what was a one-year try into 11. Mm-hmm. I felt pretty good about that, and yeah. I was certainly willing to just um, shift into provision mode. Okay. So were you able to find something that you can do with your time, work with your hands and your mind and so forth, that does provide... And yet, have you found there are aspects of that that maybe you didn't even see going in, but now that you're doing it for some a year or two, is there aspects of that that you can incorporate some of those some of those dreams or some of the what am I looking for here? Some of the character traits, uh, not even character traits, some of the the things that play on the traits that played on the dreams in the past. Maybe it's not actually doing it, but you're like you're pulling it into your work now. You see what I'm saying? Sure. So when I first went out on my own, um, I was most interested in, um, one, can I, can I even stand on my own two feet? What does that even look like? I was looking for a sense of freedom. I was looking for a scenario where I could, um, I could sort of be free from some of the corporate bureaucracy that I had experienced. I Mm -hmm. was, I worked for, uh, I was worked in a situation where I didn't, truly have the, the most uh, respect in the world for, for the, the individual I worked for. And so a lot of those things kind of shaped where I was when I was ready to kind of go out on my own. And I thought there was, there was this whole thing of social media and this and digital marketing that was coming in back in 2006 and seven when I was getting started. And I wanted to see if there was something real there. Well, Clearly there was, just, mm-hmm. just ask our president. Um, clearly, I, I, uh, ask all the previous presidents in the last yeah. you know, um, decade plus, right? Yeah. So um, that was real. So it was kind of, I got to chase that and see it all the way through from, from the rise to the plateau to the normalization. I got to play all that out. And so, so the dream was that, and the dream was evolving um, through that time but what I was ready to do in many respects was, in fact, I think in 2017, when you and I talked, I was already shifting into how I could help companies at a broader level. You were, I remember that. And so that was a lot of where I, I was less specific at that point on talking about um, digital marketing and social media marketing for sure. Like that had kind of run its course in, f- for me specifically. And so the idea to actually go deep with one organization rather than go wide with Mm -hmm. a number of organizations was very compelling to me. Yeah. So that's why I, so I got to sort of the dream was evolving into how do I impact a business and maybe can I take some of these lessons I've been learning professionally since I got out of college and see if I can apply that yeah. more broadly. Yeah. I think what I was reaching for is things that you are good at or enjoy back in your kind of prior kind of self-employed dream days, if you will, that now you're incorporating into your work. And I think I'll give you an example. I was on your LinkedIn page and um, you are doing some video updates, which right. is really cool. Yeah. But not every president does that, you know. And right. so this is, you can do that and you probably, I'm, I'm assuming you enjoy that and you're good at communication. And that sort of plays on some of your your digital marketing days too, a little bit, you know, and social media and your knowledge there. And so like getting that communication out direct to the customers directly from you, 
you know, it's very well done. You communicate exceptionally well. Like those are things where now you're president of a manufacturing company right. and not every president's doing that, but you That's are sure. right. Because yes. you're good at it and you enjoy it. Like things like that. Are you, are you noticing some others that, well, so every person should bring all of their strengths to bear when they go work someplace. And it would be foolish for me to not bring my past work life with me. Um, and so the fact that I would maybe edit some video or audio or record video or communicate through the written word or the broadcast word or whatever, um, the fact that I did that during my, my self-employment years and was pretty comfortable with that, of course, should bleed into, you know, my work now. Um, that's the easy stuff. You know, it's, it's, it was learning the manufacturing business. That was where the challenge was. Yeah, I'm sure. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm very much in, if it's recording a video for, for the business, it's very much in my element. I'm not uncomfortable with that. Yeah. And how are you finding those video updates to be received? Uh, Is techno aid, we'll get into it. Is it business to business primarily? Or is it business to customer? Like, are you selling to hospitals? Or are you selling? To- so the business is historically sold to dealers. So it's a more okay. it's a more B two B situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you're sending out these video updates about now you're ready to, you know, take orders for uh, personal protective equipment, that mm-hmm. type of a thing again, that is to another business primarily, correct? Yeah. I mean, so the company's always had people who have purchased directly from it in some sense. And so I want to talk to everybody, mm-hmm. but, um, we talked to, to a variety of dealers around the country. Yeah. Okay. All, and frankly, around the world. Yeah. And so, so it's a, it's a global audience that we're trying to reach. What stood out to me is that you're providing the updates straight from you. And I'm, I'm sure the dealers are paying attention to your updates and, and some individuals too, but the dealers probably, you know, they're, they're probably more vested as far as when is this coming out? When is it available? Those types of things. But what stuck out to me was you're providing these updates directly as opposed to letting your sales staff or your sales guy or your VP of sales know, and then let him communicate it out. I assume, you know, there's, there's plenty of that communication as well, but how are you finding these updates direct from you uh, kind of walking through the plant and so forth? How are you finding that to be received? Well, so maybe we should back up and talk about why I feel the need to do updates in the first place. That'd be great. <laughs> which, yeah. which is because of the tornado that came through Nashville. So, um, and, and let me back up one half step more. So I got this job because in December of 2017, um, having worked with this company, the, um, a, a gentleman who used to be part of the ownership team at, at TechnoAid, basically was in town, asked me if I'd get together with him for breakfast one day. And so I went in not really knowing what to expect. And I walked out two hours later and I called my wife and said, I think he wants me to be the president of the company. So I remember walking back to my car um, here in downtown Nashville. And I just said, hey, I think he wants me to be president of the company. And she said, can you do that? Which is the most reassuring thing you can ask (laughs) for a wife, ask from a wife. Serious and, vote of confidence. And I was like, well, I mean, I think I can, but I've got some learning to do. And she's like, well, yeah, you do. And so like, oh, thanks, thanks, babe. Um, so um, that all finally got finalized in February of 2018. Mm. Uh, mid-February 2018 is when I, I dove in. And so TechnoAid um, is, is a 40-plus-year-old manufacturing company that's been servicing the medical imaging industry for decades now. 
Uh, it's grown. It's changed um, ownership um, several times over the decades. And um, it was just, it was ready for a fresh start, a fresh take on some things. And so the leadership team has been completely overhauled um, over the last, and specifically in the last year and a half or so, um, which is, which has been really exciting to, to see what we can do and keep all of the best from what we used to do as a company and then really try to upgrade some other places that mm-hmm. were, were needed. So that was all very much well underway. Um, when March 3rd of 2020 came along and I remember waking up that morning and I heard my, it was like five o'clock in the morning. I heard my, my phone buzzing and which doesn't happen, you know, most days. And so, um, I didn't even know we had had a tornado come through the night before. I didn't either. Um, it wasn't in the forecast that night. I don't know if you remember like this, you know, a lot of times we know tornadoes are coming through here in Nashville and you kind of get those sleepless nights where you're up kind of wondering, do I need to go? take shelter. That was not one of those nights. It was not, it was not on my metaphorical radar nor my literal radar. And so, um, I was just like, what, what in the world's going on here? And so we had somebody, we have a friend who's a fire, uh, fireman who had been dispatched to that area and he was texting with our VP of operations. And he said, uh, and, and, uh, our firefighter friend is a very direct, kind of non-emotional person. And he was, so I was getting screenshots of the messages between them. Mm. And he just said, um, it was very short, like your place got hit. It's gone. It like, it was just, and then these grainy photos were, I was like, no, I I mean, there's, this is, you know, classic, like there's no way there's, how does he, does he even know where our building was and, and any of this? And so there was just instant denial of just like, wait a second. Is that, is that real? So over the next couple hours, we, we did get confirmed that like our entire building just got smashed. We were right near John C. Toon Airport here in Nashville. Oh, wow. and so that's right where the tornado first hit yep. in this area. That was the first before it hit that long stretch, you know, all across Middle Tennessee. Um, John C. Toon was a quarter mile away from us. And from wow. what we can tell, we were, we were right in that, that middle part of the tornado path. And, um, I've, I've never seen anything like it. I never thought I would see anything like that in real life, but to actually go look at that devastation and to see huge cinder block walls that have just fallen in and to, um, to imagine that that came along when nobody was expecting it. Yeah. And that it happened at 1230 AM rather than 1230 PM. Cause had we been there during a work day, um, there, there were chairs where people sit that were under mounds of cinder block. And so had that come along at a different time of day, I, I, we would have had injured employees mm-hmm. and, and I shudder to think, you know, if it would have been worse than that. Yep. So that was just one of, of many, I would just say it's ironically blessings of like, we had, we, we were blessed that nobody was there mm-hmm. when that happened. We were blessed that we had started to shift our mindset and our mentality and our culture and our leadership prior to the tornado, because if we hadn't have started to do that prior to the tornado, I don't think we would have, we would be bouncing back as quickly as we have. So Mm -hmm. here we are, you know, almost eight months since the tornado. Um, We have a new location. We're almost completely moved in. We're just a few weeks away from our new office build out being completed. Um, We have um, most of our manufacturing is all back. Um, We're able to do it with better technology 
um, you know, more efficiently than we were before. And so there's just huge uh, upside all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it hasn't been a pain. <laughs> right. We've had some very long, hard days. Yep. Um, but going back to, you know, what we originally talked about is that persistent just keep swimming, you know, having leaders around me and having been able to sort of pick the, the folks who I'm with then we can spread this kind of out through the organization. It it's, I mean, when you're looking at a hole in the ground that used to be your business, um, the people who you have with you really matter a lot. So when you think yeah. about your hiring choices, when you think about those, like when you have people you've got to lean into. And so I just, I feel completely um, blessed and amazed that, that we've got the team that we have. Yeah. Cause at that point you have your customer base, you have your brand and you have your people. I mean, and the rest is gone. Yes. How, for context, how many square foot were you in by John C. Toon Airport? We were in a manufacturing office facility that was, I believe, 45,000 square feet. Wow, so fairly large. Mm-hmm. And was this owned or leased? It was leased. It was leased. And yes. did insurance, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming your manufacturing company or building got blown in, so there's at least, what, weeks where you're not manufacturing anything? Yeah, so... Months. And did so, insurance cover this? So insurance, well, if you have the right insurance, it can be very helpful. And so I, I got to... Listen, I, I have never thought in my life I would say that I was as thankful for insurance as I am. I would never have thought I would love an insurance guy as much as I love <laughs> Mike Thomas. <laughs> Mike, if Mike's listening. With who? With Mike Thomas? Uh, Mike's his what? own guy. Mike's, oh, really? Mike's his own, his own the, thing. What's the agency name? Uh, you know, I don't even know Mike what Mike's Tom, wow. Mike's Mike's agency name is because okay. Mike Mike he's is like personal, a, he's huh? just like a he's he is the um, insurance cowboy. He'll just wow. he'll swoop in and and save the day. So he's been great. Um, he helps he helps us with all of our corporate insurance. Hmm. Um, he made sure that we were well covered years before I ever came along. He's he'd been around the company, um, so he he helped us out a ton even through this process. He's helped us out, and so I think that's where the decisions that you make. Um, in partners and leaders in what insurance do you really feel like you should be paying for or shouldn't be paying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's when you are staring at a hole in the ground, that's where all of that really, um, it matters. Oh, for sure. And so again, there are loads of blessings, mm-hmm. you know, within, within that. And, um, which is a weird thing to say. We were saying that, um, just my leadership team and me, uh, we were saying that within 24 or 48 hours of the tornado coming through. Um, we, one of uh, our, our VP of operations, Aaron, his house became our office for, for a short period of time. Oh, wow. His kitchen table, um, much as wife's chagrin, although yeah. Mary, Mary's wife was great. But, um, you know, it was like we were, that was home base for us for, for a little bit until we got some temp space. Yeah. Um, and, and we talked, I just remember sitting in his living room, I mean, probably two days after the tornado and our heads are still spinning in many respects with saying, guys, could this perhaps be the best thing that's ever happened to us? Like, could we actually, can we use this and not replicate things that we wouldn't, that we would have wanted to get rid of in, in the old situation, lean into the good stuff, change things that we want to change. This is a massive catalyst to make change. Um, it lets us shed some some cultural baggage. It lets us shed some process baggage, and just and, and we're starting fresh, but we know enough to know what not to do. Yeah. So let's go. And where is the building now, and how big? So we moved into uh, about a sixty thousand square foot okay. space over in uh, in White's Creek, 
Tennessee. Okay. So it's just right up I-24. Uh, it's, it's about a dozen minutes from downtown Nashville. Okay. So the people that were driving into the old location and driving into the new yep. location, no one had to lose their job or anything like that. It's not, a, it's not that the distance is far enough away. The distance, the distance works out great. What did, and that is a great way to look at it. Most, most certainly because you can't, at that point, you're not going to change whether it happened or not. So you may as well move on. And there's no sense in crying over spilled milk. Well, what was great was in talking to, um, some of our, some of the ownership team, uh, for our company, one of the guys, um, confessed after we were a couple weeks into it, um, after, you know, a couple weeks afterwards, he said, he said, Bill, I knew that we were going to be okay when I realized that you and the rest of the management team wasn't curled up in the fetal position, right. you know, in the corner. Yeah. And um, he said, because that's, that's an option. Yeah. Now, I would say that was not an option that ever crossed my mind, and that's frankly not an option that ever crossed our management team's mind. Yeah. But if you stop and think about it for a second, you know, it is possible that you can assess all of that, you can see all the damage, you can see the work, you can anticipate all the work that's coming and, and just and just um just close up yeah most certainly there was a lady on here a couple weeks ago candace bruder from new york city she was in uh, downtown new york when 9-11 happened and she noticed three types of people people that froze people that just cried and people that just got to work got it done yep. you know you have to you just rise above it you got to keep swimming this comes back to your yeah. swimming point which yeah. is going to be maybe become a little bit of a theme um what what were you able to sort of when you said drop some things culturally? Do you just mean it's a new day, it's a new location? Do you drop some product lines at that point? Did you sh- shift some things around HR wise or brand wise? Well, or? so so the culture in the company was one that we'd been wanting to just really warm up since um, since I got there, and we wanted to make sure that there was a high level of trust all the way around. Um, make sure that there wasn't a culture of of um, just blame and, um, skepticism. And so I think pulling together through hard days, yeah. you know, certainly helps people sort of see, hey, we are in this together. Yes. And we had done a lot of things to try to fix that, um, and earn trust. Um, management never gets to stop earning trust. Um, you know, just because you have a particular title and role within the company does not mean that you immediately get the respect. Mm-hmm. of the employees. In fact, it probably means that you need to work harder to, to do that. And so, um, we, we had been working toward as a management team had been really working toward, um, what does it look like to earn trust and to earn respect and do that time after time through good communication, clear communication. Um, our company was not historically very open and candid in talking to employees about things. And so, um, that's another thing I wanted to do. And mm-hmm. so we started doing, um, a year ago, we started doing monthly meetings and just like, what's going on? What's the state of the company? How, how, you know, let's talk about profitability. Let's talk about things that are going on. Let's talk about challenges. Let's talk mm-hmm. about where we're trying to go and just trying to, trying to do all the things that, you know, just kind of make sense yeah. to, to do. And so it was that, that was some of the cultural shift that we had begun. And when it came time for us to need to pull together, in the wake of the, in the wake of the tornado, um, we were more, our team and our individuals were more ready. Yeah. That makes sense. How many employees roughly? Uh, just under 40. Okay. So we're, we're around 35, okay. 35, gotcha. 40. And the prior president or CEO before you took over, was he also one of the owners or was he an outside hire as well? He had been, he was part of the ownership 
group. Okay. Yeah. So you're the first president in some time that's not been part of the ownership group. I was for the first. Years. Correct. So I was the first president in a while that didn't that lived in Nashville. Uh, um, that was part. That was not part of the ownership. Is this group. a national company? It's not a national company, but but ownership was n- not. It is a. Did you say Nash, national? Is or it Nashville? national? When you said, okay, I was surprised to hear the president wasn't from Nashville. So there must be other manufacturing plants around. So so everything is in Tennessee, oh. but um, all our manufacturing headquarters is here. Ownership is all in New York, and so that's that's the way it's it's worked. And so the the former president was also um, one of the owners. I see. And so. Um, he ran it with with some other leadership here in town. I see, fascinating. And so, it's been. You can imagine it's it's a. I mean, that in and of itself is part of a cultural shift. Yeah, when, for sure. When the the president CEO actually comes to the office every day. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that's a big plus. Big plus. And then if it's anything like what we used to manufacture, then you just need to make sure you don't get too caught up in the in the manufacturing details. But that's a personality thing. I mean, it's just, it's that's a great model, I think, to have the leadership on site, particularly if you have one manufacturing location. Or is there other shops around? We have Tennessee? contract manufacturing that's in other parts of Tennessee, but those are contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what is your leadership team directly under you? How many and what are their roles? And then how many of them did you hire? So there are, um, we've done some, uh, we've made some adjustments over, we're always making adjustments, mm-hmm. but we've done some adjustments um, in the last, I don't know, well, eight, nine months. And so there are two, uh, two guys who report to me, um, who, and the three of us are the management team. Yeah. So we've got one guy who's on the, the finance side and one guy who's on okay. the operations side. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, the other, the one guy I noticed in your video, uh, say his name again. Aaron. Aaron, Aaron yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he popped up in your one video, which is, which is great. He's actually, in, he's in a couple different videos. So okay. he, he, uh, he doesn't love it, but he does great. He did a great job. He does very good. Yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, your facility there looks really great. What have, I'm sure you've been learning a ton, obviously. So I'm curious, what have you been learning about either manufacturing or business or leadership as you take take on this new role, get into this, you know, just getting to manufacturing is a thing all of its own. And then, of course, sure. you had tornado thrown at you. You had moving locations thrown at you. You had COVID thrown at you, all these things. But I'm particularly kind of interested in your background in digital in the digital marketing consulting space, now running a manufacturing company. I'm kind of curious how you look at business and leadership differently. Yeah, so um, I am not a micromanager. And so if I, I would say one of my weaknesses is not to get in too, too deep into the weeds. It's usually to maybe stay too far from the weeds. And so that tends to work pretty well. Um, that served me very well as a consultant for years because I, I didn't need to know all the details because I would probably stay a little bit higher level and think about strategically, what do we need to do? Um, in manufacturing, that serves you very well if you can trust all the people who work for you. And so as you can imagine, um, if you're not sure who's doing what, how it's being done and that sort of thing, um, you don't even know what you don't know. And so the first, uh, you know, probably year and a half, we're just really digging in, trying to understand all the facets of the business, but not be a micromanager at the same time, Mm -hmm. because there are always people. I mean, we, we've got a ton of employees that have been there for decades. And so, um, I want to know enough to be able to make an informed decision, but I also know that I can go blow up somebody's day and then, then not even know that I had no clue what I was talking about. Right. And so 
um, there's a, I want to have that awareness and I want to, to make sure I get enough information to, to help, to push. Cause sometimes you just need to, I just need to be the one that pushes. Um, and so I came into the role trying to figure out how do I really make an impact here to see where this business is going? It's been around for decades. It's been around for over 40 years. Um, where are we going? What's going on? And, and how do we, how do we push it to grow? And so having very strong detail guys in the finance and operations team that I can trust implicitly. Um, I think that's the magic of what makes it, makes it work for us. So, um, sales, marketing, customer service, those folks report directly to me. Um, Eric, our finance guy, he's got a great handle on his team, great team. And, um, Aaron as our operations guy has a great team and has a, a wonderful understanding of what they need to do. And so mm-hmm. the three of us talk a lot. Um, I think we've got a really good thing going and then we make often make decisions collectively or at least inform each other and we'll bounce things off each other. And, um, we've got a good culture where we can disagree with each other. Um, and then, but it doesn't get weird. You're just like, all right, well, that's dumb. Yeah. And so what's, or, or you may say, Hey, I want to do this. Is this dumb? Yeah. And then they need to feel free to say that. Yeah. Have you gotten sort of disinterested blank stares from the more hourly or folks on the floor when you're bringing them into some of these monthly meetings and talking about goals and direction of the company and those types of things, as you become more transparent, your, it sounds like your leadership style is maybe more transparent than maybe what they've had in the past. And, you know, that, that kind of cuts both ways. You know, sometimes people just want to know what they should do and they just come in and punch a clock and put their head down, do their work and go home. And they don't want to be brought in on all this other stuff, sure. you know, and then some people do enjoy being brought in on that stuff. And I, I know yeah. that that's, that's one thing that, um, you know, we have, I've seen it both ways in, in our company in the past where, well, well we've, we've seen it both ways, where there's good and bad. So how are you finding your balance here with transparency? So, I mean, the interesting thing with being transparent is that you, you hope and assume everybody can handle it, right? Um, classic, um, few good men, you know, can you handle, or you can't handle the truth. So I tend to err on the side of putting the truth out there. And then if somebody can't handle it, then we'll explain it to them. Yeah. Um, perhaps one-on-one or, or kind of, push, push that truth in a little further if, okay. if we need to. And so I would say the team, the company and the employees as a whole have, have, have responded to it really well. I mean, again, we started doing that well before the tornado. Um, it has served us well because I think they needed to see and hear that there wasn't this massive divide between management and the rest of the, the company and all the different sort of middle management, and the layers, you know, within um, we need to pull together and say, we're all in this together. Um, but we all have different roles and we all have to serve in different ways. And, um, at the end of the day, we got some guys in New York that are looking at me and trying to say, are you, are you leading us where we need to go? Yeah. Um, they want to see a return on their investment. I want them to see a return on their investment. Um, that'll be good for everybody. And so, um, it's been, it's been just, it's been good to see our folks that frankly, they just really responded good. Well, I mean, there are a few times where we get off into some details and somebody maybe doesn't quite understand what we're saying. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of our, our supervisors might pull them aside and help them understand it. But, um, I don't regret 
the the strategy or approach yeah. at all. Is the common comp on the floor, is it hourly or is it um, more piece rate? Uh, we've got we've got a mix of, of hourly and salary. So, okay. so once somebody moves into a more leadership position, they'll typically be a salaried employee sure. and then yep. um, otherwise it's an hourly. Yep. Okay. And the ownership group, is it several or is it like... 20 like is this it is it is one organization now okay out of out of New York yeah and what is your reporting structure like to them do you have like you know monthly business monthly business reviews or? um so it is i think i've got a pretty sweet deal because they are very content to trust us to do what needs to be done mm-hmm. um I have not felt, I mean, these guys are, they're outstanding. And so they're, they're amazing partners. They offer support. They're, they're there when we need them. They're also happy to not get pulled into stuff sure. <laughs> that they don't want to be. Yep. So I think, you know, there are situations where owners can, can get way too deep mm-hmm. into things. And, and then of course, if they ask for things, then it can undermine what maybe management is trying to do and it can be a, a huge mess. Yeah. And so, um, so our ownership team is is not doing yeah. that. Do you have a, a really clear though reporting structure? Like, is there things they get weekly and monthly and quarterly, or not not so much? So they would get daily reports actually okay. um, pre tornado, and okay. so we're in the process of bringing the the daily and the monthlies back. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Is there anything that, and the answer might might be no, which is fine. Where you thought of business kind of one way when you were in the digital marketing consulting space, but now that you're president of this manufacturing company, you see, eh, what I thought before, it's actually not so much like that. Here's how it kind of is, you know? Is there anything where you've had a Um, change of view on anything? I would say, I don't... I want to be careful here. I've realized how much I didn't know about business. Sure. When I was consulting businesses. So to whoever I consulted poorly... For 11 years, <laughs> I should probably apologize. <laughs> but I feel like um, a, a two and a half years um, leading an actual organization that has actual employees with actual, all the actual things that you have to do yeah. that come along with that. And, you know, from, I mean, being a consultant, there were hardly any hard costs you know, labor wasn't something I was thinking about right. on a regular basis. Um, delivery times and managing international customers and all of their expectations. Um, talking, I mean, it's just it, it, in the finance side, you know, ownership and, and banks and, and insurance and lawyers and like all the things. I mean, I've, I, I feel like I've gotten an MBA in two and a half years yeah, I believe that. at the, at the company. And, um, it just shows me how much I didn't know sure. when I was talking specifically about, yeah. uh, business and consulting. And so it just, it does make me wonder, I think I'm probably more skeptical now of, of a lot of people who are consultants if they haven't been in business. Sure. Yeah. Only because I would be skeptical of myself. Sure. 2020 bill would be skeptical of, say, 2017 bill. Yeah. And I think it depends on what you're trying to get out of 2017 bill, too, because if you are a manufacturing company, or a president of a manufacturing company, or any company, for that matter, but you're looking for 
some consulting or some input from an expert on a particular subject matter back to 2015 bill or 2017 bill. Well, then you're just looking for that guy who knows a lot about that one particular subject. But if you're bringing in a business consultant or a business advisor at that type of a thing in a more holistic approach, then I think it really that that experience really does matter because it is different. Yeah, when you're in the yes. when you're in it, it really is. Yep. Um, yeah, labor costs very important. Overhead's very important. Uh, <laughs> I would know. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All those there, things. There's some things that uh, that that went sideways for us for sure. Um, counting systems are also very important. Have them neat and tidy and keep them clean. Do not let. Oh that, yeah. Do listen. Not let that listen. Get out we of we um, we've had a few folks come through accounting. Yeah. 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 Well, if you do try so, to change your accounting system, make sure you really stay on top of that. What do you use? So we use an ERP system that's specifically for manufacturing. Oh, okay. You're yeah. ready. You're ready into ERP then. Yeah. Was did you implement that or was that? No, it's been around for a long time. Oh, great. But we're we're so again, the company wasn't fully utilizing it. I see. And so the company had it for twenty years. Oh wow. But wasn't fully utilizing it, and okay. so um, we started to lean into it more in late 2019 mm. and um, it hadn't been upgraded in about a decade. Mm-hmm. And so we did a massive, so, so beyond rebuilding the business, yeah. we've completely revamped all of our data structure on the back end of the company yeah. and have upgraded our ERP system. Yep. So again, oh, we're, good we're leaning into all the things. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. As long as it doesn't get away from you, our, our ERP implementation got away from us. It's completely oh, okay. oh, it's awful. So we shut it down about a half a year before we shut everything down. So ours, <laughs> ours was not. It, this isn't a new integration. It's it's just moving, uh, advancing the one that we've already yeah. had, and starting to use more modules yeah. within it. Changing subjects. You yeah. were one of the first on the social media front. I mean, you were one of the one of the experts, if you will, on that whole thing years and years ago. I mean, that was when was that? 2007? Uh, so 2005. was iPhone, right? So then, U- YouTube came on the scene in 05. Um, man, 15 years ago. Yeah, so, so 05. And, that's, and, and late, 20, late 2005 is when I started to, to pay attention to it. So you yeah. were in there early, and I remember that from, from our prior conversation. So my question is, what are your thoughts on social media now? Um, I'm curious if you saw the... Uh, Netflix documentary, the social dilemma. The social dilemma. Did you see that yet? I haven't seen it yet. You need to see that. Yeah, it's on my queue. So sixty three. Wait, what's Netflix? So, what? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, assuming you haven't already canceled Netflix. Um, no, I still have for any any particular reason. The uh, social dilemma is a very good documentary on Netflix. It's, it is. It's it really, is in my really, queue. Really, really good. It's in my queue. And um, they uh, there's a stat from that documentary. Sixty three percent. Of let's see if I can get this right. Sixty three percent. I have it here. It's sixty four percent of people who who join extremist groups on Facebook. Okay. Okay. All right. Did so because the algorithm steered them there. Sixty four percent because the algorithm steered them there, and that, I'm going to have to have more coffee for this we, part. Of the yeah, we got I think. Andrew. You want to grab him some more right there? Sure thing. Um, another stat from their uh, documentary: the number of countries. Uh, using political disinformation campaigns on social media has doubled in the past two years. That's not that surprising to me. Um, but this is interesting. So every social media user does have a profile. So you have a profile on Facebook. I have a profile on Facebook. Sure. You have a profile on Twitter. I have one. Instagram. So not forth. anymore. 
you, you my Twitter it. profile got hacked um, like a year. I want to say my it got hacked a year and a half ago. And a friend named Eric said, uh, hey, you might want to check. He hit me up on Facebook Messenger. Hey, you might want to check your Twitter profile got hacked. And it's like showing girls in bikinis or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, that's not me. Um, and I looked it up. And I was just like, they can have it. You just delete it? I just, or you just yeah, let it go? I let it go. So Why didn't you delete it? I, so I deleted my name. Okay. And then like, I did, but I didn't try to recover it or anything like that. Oh, sure. Okay. Well, what I mean by profile is not so much that yes. you have, um, I don't really mean that you have an account. I'm just yes, saying I, I get you. the algorithm has a bead on you. And there's 20, this was from 2016. Back in 2016, this is four years ago, there was 29,000 different considerations that went into your particular algorithmic profile. Nice word. Yes. Right? Yes. Uh, so it's crazy. So what do you what do you make of social media now that here we are in 2020? What's so what that's do, not very, so I think future? what's interesting is that's not social. Um, the social that's social on the back end, meaning it's taking algorithms and then it's 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 pulling the social threads and the social connections and leveraging the social connections once it's made all these algorithmic deter- determinations. Originally, social media was just about people connecting with people. Exactly. And so that's what's flipped dramatically exactly. is that um, the, the personal data and all of the things that can be extracted from that and then tracking activity mm-hmm. and then making correlations through that, mm-hmm. are, that, that's what was not part of the original setup. Thank you so well, much. exactly. But that is kind of the whole point of the social dilemma. It's their, their, their point of that documentary is not that, oh, we're becoming too social, we're spending too much time talking to each other. The whole point of that is we're now starting to have our decisions and our actions dictated by the algorithm, yep. which is yeah, a relatively concerning situation to be in as a society. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants, wants that. Mm-hmm. Um, but listen, we've always had other voices telling us things. And so um, whatever, whether it's been literature over the years or media empires, I mean, think about, um, you know, somebody like William Randolph Hearst, you know, as, as a media newspaper guy, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, um, you know, it, it wasn't like a, a lily white, perfect, you know, pristine time. Right. You know. Well, I, I don't disagree with you on that, but we've never had it this is more amount now. of specific targeted information, you know, f- that we have to deal with individually. And, you know, let's face it, a lot of people are spending a ton of time on Facebook sure. and YouTube, and then it, you have your notifications that pop up. And I mean, all of those. And then Google, Google's a huge one. Google knows what you're into, and now they're bringing stuff when you search Google certain yeah. things. Like it's so. I agree that we have had. It's not like we we've had a, a rosy past at all times, but we've never dealt with such a powerful, specific, deliberate kind of manipulation of us as a person individually that we have to battle against. And look, battling against this is relatively easy if you want to just get rid of your smartphone and sure. go to a dumb phone or get rid of all your social media and never go on YouTube or never use Google. Then I think, I think you've kind of got it at that point. But, you know, no one's really, not too many people are prepared to do that. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, the, the webs, not the websites, the apps, 
are built to hook you in. Yeah. Um, they are programmed to make you want to stay longer. Mm-hmm. Um, Netflix wants you to watch more movies and shows. Yep. So they win when you're on there more. And I think if you know that, I mean, I remember years ago when I would do uh, consulting and training events and, and conferences, I remember telling people, I said, LinkedIn is most interested in your data. They kind of don't care if you find a job through some LinkedIn contact. Right. Now, they want to sell you some recruiting services, perhaps, or they want to sell you some things through that, but, but LinkedIn is about data. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why when you pay a premium uh, fee, a monthly premium fee, you get more data. You mm-hmm. personally get more access to more things. You get mm-hmm. better search. And so, um, you know, LinkedIn was probably one of the first that was very kind of candid about it. And it seemed a little ugly at the time. Yeah. And yet I think they, they, were, they were pretty clear right off the bat yeah. about what was driving them. Do you think that social media, do you think there's a good argument for social media being a utility and not privately owned? And by that, I mean, hmm. so Micah over here, with, uh, I think it's New Unity, he does branding, and he was doing some work with a local power company. And it was privately owned, but it turned into, let me see if I can get it right. It's the way the state looked at that. It needed to be a utility. That's my point. So it was privately owned, but heavily, heavily um, regulated by the government, and it was treated as utility. And you couldn't have other competitors. They wouldn't allow another competitor to come in but you had to play by the government's role. So it was, it was still privately owned, but it really was run like a, like a government-owned thing because the premise for that is everyone needs it. So we can't have a monopoly with, say, water because everyone needs water sure. and you can't have someone owning the water space and then doing whatever they want to do with your life through your water bill. Right. And there are some now that are arguing that Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, I, I haven't heard that so much with YouTube, that it's so important now. It's how so many people get their news. It's 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 so integral, I guess, in, into our lives that w- it should be a utility and not run by, you know. Yeah, I someone. haven't heard that argument. I would really need to think about that. I, in general, don't like the idea of businesses being taken over. I agree with by that. the yeah. government. Yep. So that that just right off the bat sounds like oh, I don't I don't like them. Directionally, yep. I don't like yep. what, what that sounds like it's doing. Um, I can see, though, I, I don't know if you have to make a really strong utilitarian argument there, and um, that gets into how people are accessing data and, and information. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I think <laughs> the fact of the matter is, if, if the government, for instance, wanted to create something that would function in this way they could mirror many of the capabilities yeah so why not do that as a public connection point yeah type of a situation yeah they could and it would probably suck (laughs) you know what i mean if the government tried to have a governmental run or launch facebook sure probably would suck probably no one would use it um well so so they aren't then um held to the same standards as the free market is what, yeah. what we would say. That, exactly. And, and, but we, we know that that, I mean, that's just how it is. Yeah. But I, I just, I think, I don't know. I, in general, my initial, my gut take is it, it's pretty hesitant to think that one, that it should be a utility and, and two, that it even is a utility. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I would want to think about that yeah. more before I could probably buy that yeah. rationale. The just watching the social dilemma, I mean, it was fairly it's fairly concerning with like how integrated these algorithms are coming becoming a part of our everyday human experience, particularly as like 13, 14, I don't know. There's I guess there's probably kids even, which I can't imagine, on social media, eight, nine, twelve, you know, which just seems crazy. But um that's just normal life for them. So it's like, it's super integrated. The thing though, that, that caught my attention the most, which I think is explaining some of like the, I don't know, some of the crazy stuff going on out there is the fact that so many of these people joining these extremist, extremist groups were like kind of directed there from the algorithms. That seems concerning. Yeah. I mean, if that's happening, that's not good. <laughs> Trust me, it's happening, bro. Maybe you're not on social media so much or because you know, you're on important things, which is very, very good. But there is a lot of weird stuff floating around out yeah, there. Yeah, so I, I am on some, but I'm, I spent so many years in deep all the time, every day, in early. And so I think um, I'm certainly not on like yeah. I used to. I've, I clearly didn't care about my Twitter account. Yeah. You know, I killed, I don't do anything on Instagram. I'm on Facebook some. Yeah. Well, it's not but, the people that have a purpose and a mission and a goal like you do. I think it's the people that have too much spare time and they just get sucked down all these rabbit holes and then they're spreading the information and next thing you know, there's there's weird stuff happening. Well, so I think this is where, where does the company, where did the companies rise up and take their, take their platforms back? Right. So, you know, my, my thought would be, well, what is Facebook, for instance, doing to, to rise up and take its platform back? What is Twitter doing? What is YouTube doing? What is Instagram, Snapchat, whoever else? Yeah. Um, TikTok, of course. Yeah. Um, uh, to, if they feel the need to rise up and take their platform back, then, then do it. Yeah. Now, I understand. I, I do read enough to know that there's blowback even on that. And what does it look yep. like, politically speaking, to rise up and take your platform back? Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that it's easy. Um, but I think that's where if you want to avoid losing something that you built, mm-hmm. go get it back and do your best to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been following the election closely or not closely? Um, I don't need election. Yeah. There's one. Is it next <laughs> week? Um, well, I guess it's happening now it in is, a lot of it, places, it is, right? It is happening all over, of course. Voted. And um, yeah, it's just over a week from now. Um, yeah, I... So I was a political science major in, um, in college. I worked for a congressman um, for a summer before my senior year of college. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of into politics. And okay. unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm into politics. And <laughs> so I, and I will say this, after spending three months in D.C., um, this was back in the 90s um, when... It was the summer, I was an intern the summer that Monica Lewinsky scandal oh, was, wow. was going around. And so being an intern, when that was the intern story of the century, yeah, that was a little awkward. Wow. But um, yeah, so Where I Where were you interning? I, I, for a, a, a Republican congressman in Tennessee. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you were in D.C. But we were, I was at the D.C. office, yeah. yes. Okay. So what, where do you see the country going if Trump gets it and where do you see us heading if Biden gets it? Well, so, I mean, there are so many things, there are so many thoughts on this. Um, I 
did not vote for Trump um, in the last election. I did not vote for Clinton. I went third party. Mm-hmm. So I voted third party because I couldn't bring myself to vote for either of the major party candidates last time around uh, for a variety of reasons. But ultimately it came down to, I don't trust that either one of these people is going to frankly be awesome for our country and for, I guess, what would be my vision of the country. Um, and so that, that was the first, since I was, since I've been old enough to vote um, for presidents, that's the first time I never, that I had not voted for the Republican mm-hmm. candidate. And so I'd always voted for a Republican prior to that until that election. And I am likely going to do the same thing next week. Um, I cannot bring myself, and here's the deal. We live in Tennessee. We know what color Tennessee is going to be on election night. So I was talking to a friend over the weekend, and we said we both feel like we can have these philosophical debates about what you want to do with the presidential election, but we live in a very staunchly red state. Sure. So our vote is not going to push it, you know, one way or the other. I think we would have more to wrestle with. Yep. Um, if just it were, in general, like if, if it Ohio were or, uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, yeah, Pennsylvania Michigan, yep. Yep. Um, even North Carolina, it seems to be potentially up for grabs. Yep. So, um, yeah, so there's a lot, there's a lot to consider there. And so I think um, the, the next four years with Trump in the White House, I don't, I don't trust his decision making. I'm, I, if I just think about this, if, if he were a business leader, he would prove himself to me to not be somebody who I could trust because he's going to say one thing and do another. He doesn't surround himself with people who he seems to listen to and take their counsel. And even if he says it one day, it doesn't mean he's going to do it the next. Um, I find that terribly troubling, right. particularly from the president of the United States. Yep. I think he regularly stoops below his position. Um, Twitter has not helped him. But I think he has such an ego that he has to have the attention all the time. Mm-hmm. And Twitter lets him do that. And, and so I think that's, that's where he is. I've got, yeah. I've got a slew of concerns about him. Um, now, he has done some, some things that I've been, frankly, pleasantly surprised with, even regard to some peace deals, like some of, some of what he's been able to do with um, some recent peace deals in the Middle East, um, even in just recent weeks. I thought, okay, well, that's, that's some really positive stuff. Frankly, I kind of was surprised that he was able to, to, to pull some of that off. So I want to give credit where credit is due, but on the whole, I struggle yeah. significantly with him. Obviously, I did four years ago. I, like many people, I didn't take him seriously as a legitimate candidate. Yep. Um, I frankly still don't take him seriously as a legitimate candidate, and I, don't th- I, think, he had, I think time will tell that he has probably ruined the Republican party from what it used to be. And it's been recrafted into something entirely different. Okay. Interesting. So in, let's assume that he loses this election. And so then you're coming back in 2024 and the Republican party is trying to take over or trying to put their guy or gal in as president at that point. When you say ruin the Republican Party, what are you thinking the Republican Party needs to work through, or what does it look like at the next election cycle? 
Yeah, so my hope is that the Republican Party stands for the free market. Mm -hmm. My hope is that it stands for life and justice. And so, you know, I don't, I mean, even going back to Nixon, Nixon would talk about law and order. Trump's been talking about law and order a lot. So given the summer that we had in the United States, there was a lot of talk about law and order. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are often those, uh, you know, they're called the dog whistles, you know, to try to get people who have a lot of racist thoughts or or history or tendency um, or who just flat out are racist to kind of fire fire up that base. Yep. Um, Law and order should just mean justice for all. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't. That's a problem to me. So why, why, why is law and order and why are law and order and justice not the same thing? Yeah. Okay. That, that doesn't seem, I, I don't like that history of, and you think of the Republicans. And so the Republicans have, have some troubling history themselves. I mean, sure. even going back to the Reagan days, yep. um, so when it comes to race relations mm-hmm. and um, just the way race is viewed in the United States um, with, and crime, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work to do. So my, my hope my, perhaps my hope for the Republican Party is that Trump has pushed it so far that it has caused a, um, it has caused those who would still consider themselves conservative, but not Trump-based conservatives, mm-hmm. to maybe say, what do we really need to be doing? What, what do we need right. to do I to sort of that. reconcile back to something that is a more um, thoughtful? I mean, I mean wasn't it uh, um, George Bush... George W. Bush talked about the compassionate conservative. Mm. Well, that always sort of rang a little false at the time, but man, that would be really nice to have yeah. moving forward. And frankly, it would be such a stark contrast to what we have today that compassionate should mean just law, just order. It should mean that there's life and liberty while pursuing happiness for everybody. And frankly, that doesn't matter if what race you are, it doesn't matter what religion you are, because we're trying to all live in this country together. Mm -hmm. And so the idea of the United States was, was to be a place where we can all function and live together. And both parties have largely walked away from that. Both parties are well served to incite disunity. Yes. And so, I'm waiting for somebody to come back and say, let's bring this thing together. So some of what Biden is trying to do right now is hitting on those notes. Um, But he's doing so as a Democrat in a party that has, has just as much as Republicans has often sought to divide people as well. So the two major parties have loads of baggage and it's going to take somebody to either rise up and really try to revamp and overhaul those parties or some, I think, I think never has there been a better chance for a third party um, organization or a third party just to rise up. Yeah. So the Biden thing is a good example because I, 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 my perception is now I will say that I share basically all of your thoughts with Trump. I will say in his defense, which you probably agree with too, that he hasn't always been given a fair shake from the media, you know, and they have positioned him in a certain way as well. I'm not saying it's a, it's all incorrect, but I share your thoughts on Trump. I would dare say every president would say they don't get a fair shake from the media. It's probably true. Well, yeah. I, I've, heard, yeah. I've heard the argument that he's been scrutinized more than past presidents. I mean, 
I I'd say okay. I don't know how to quantify that. Yeah, maybe, I think it depends maybe, which news maybe, outlet. Maybe not. I don't. Yeah. I don't truly know. Well, I think it depends which news outlet. So that's actually a great point because if someone's just watching Fox, then Trump's the savior. But if they're watching CNN, MSNBC, NBC, you know those other things, and then they're they do position him in, in a somewhat negative light. As it seems to be whenever they have a chance. Um, my perception, though, back to the race thing. Quite frankly, my perception is that Biden would be better than Trump in terms of better race relations. Now, I could be wrong. That's my perception. Um, and that does seem to be a more Democrat, a, a, a better strength of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. But why does it then like have to come at the expense of free market? You know what I mean? Like, Why can't we have both of these things? Why yeah. do they need to be at odds with each other? So back to your comment on hope that the Gore desire would be to see some of these better race relations brought into a more compassionate conservative group. I sort of feel like there, like there's an undercurrent in that direction on the Republican side. Do you oh, feel the same? Absolutely. And it, so maybe in my if, circles, I hear it all the time. Okay. Yeah. So maybe in four years, is it too idealistic to think that we can get the best of both worlds a little bit, if you will, where we have a good, strong leader who understands the value of free market um, but also the value of justice for all. I mean, is it too um, much to ask for? Or do you, I don't do you think, think we're heading in that direction? The I, Republican I think, Party is heading in that direction already. I think um, if Trump wins the election, that perhaps momentum that you're sensing will grow dramatically. That's this undercurrent of conservatives because it will continue, something will have to grow in contrast to him. If he loses, then everything is up for grabs in the Republican Party at that point. And I think it would, it would be an opportunity for, for just a more centrist person to come in, but could still have some, they're going to probably try to borrow some things that, that Trump, you know, was able to, to play well to win um, over the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And so I think that change that you're that more dramatic change that you're sort of referencing there is probably most likely to happen if Trump actually wins the election. So, but don't you think if Trump wins the election, Republican party says, well, look, see, he was a divisive guy, but he got it done for us. So let's get more of that. Yes. And because that will happen, I think that's why there will be this stronger conservative backlash under the current. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I mean, do you think there's any path? I mean, there's always a path, but it's based on what I'm reading and hearing, it looks likely that Biden's in, right? I mean, it's, he's he's further ahead, way further well, ahead than it does, except Hillary for the fact and, that everybody thought Hillary was in. Yeah, <laughs> and, I mean, that's but and it was quite a shock, you know, that night right. to to most of the country, frankly, M- most certainly. But so, Biden's lead is 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 way more than Trump. But I guess. It, it depends where you get. I haven't your done news a, I haven't from. done a comparison on what the. I mean, we're what today recording this. We're eight days away mm-hmm. from the election. I think I don't know what the polls were saying um, four years ago. Eight days out. Yeah, I you think, know I everything th- had Hillary. Uh, yeah, in the did. lead, as I recall, because it was it. It seemed like most folks were expecting that it was kind of a done deal. Yeah, and. It clearly wasn't, yep. and that was that was a crazy, crazy night. Yep. And so there, a lot of Democrat parties got ruined, you know, yeah. that night. Not the party itself, although some would argue that it did too. But yep. like the actual, you know, events. And so I don't know. I mean, that's where I don't know what to believe. I say that 
probably every other day when I'm talking to somebody, I was like, I don't know what to, to believe. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about COVID. It doesn't matter if we're talking about the election. It doesn't matter. Like there's, because we've got algorithms, you yes. know, sending things our way. We've got, clearly there are, um, you know, the State Department came out last week saying that Russia and Iran and other countries are trying to interfere in the election. Mm-hmm. And so there's just a lot of like, what? I don't know what to, to believe. I agree. So I want to underreact and try to thoughtfully take in what I'm hearing. Go, All right, does that seem consistent? So I'm, I'm usually looking for consistency of data points and mm-hmm. say, okay, that seems to line up with that and that lines up with that. There, therefore, it's probably true or more likely to be true versus, well, that seems like... Uh, like the crazy uncle that just ran ran right. off over that way, and there seems to be no correlation yes. know, to that. I this is don't entirely quote me on this, but I think last or I'm sorry, 2016 about this time Hillary had a four point lead, and right now Biden's like nine. That's rough. Okay, so but again, I'm with you. I don't know exactly what to believe, and it wouldn't shock me at all if Trump gets in. You know, because it seems like there's an advantage there to. Biden to sort of position him as like the shoe in he's going to win. I, I don't know how that affects voters or whatnot, but, um, and if more of the media does tend to go left and that's what we're hearing, it looks likely that Biden's going to get in, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know, but, uh, anything could happen, I suppose. But, um, at the end of the day, times to be alive. Well, man. at the end of the day, I think all of us have a, not only a choice for president, but we have the choice of choosing whether we're going to be afraid or not. I agree. Um, both parties um, win if you are afraid of the other side. Nothing motivates people like fear. Mm-hmm. And so the Republicans get more people to vote for Trump if they can make people afraid yeah. of Biden. Yeah. Biden wins if he makes more people afraid of Trump. Yes. I mean, that's, 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 and that's politics 101, yes. right? That's, that's part of what happens. And so you just know it. But it does seem heightened, you know, mm-hmm. this year. I think maybe it's because of the personalities involved. Maybe it's because of the, the, the means at which we can get more access to more media. There's just a lot more stuff kind of coming at us. And so we have to stop. We, we can push the pause button on almost all of this communication and, and information coming at us. And then we can decide if we're going to be afraid by this or not. Yeah, agreed. One thing I've been curious about when it comes to fake news and uh, infiltration from other countries and other countries pushing their agenda here stateside is, uh, and I guess I'm just, I'm looking to understand the movement a little better in general is black lives matter mm-hmm. because you and I both agree with that. You know, black lives matter. Andrew agrees with that. I think we all in this room agree with that. And you're, I, you're saying I, lowercase B, lowercase lower case L, absolutely. Lower case yeah. Gotcha. All right. Well, what gets even weirder than that, because I was hearing Mark Cuban explain to Kelly, Megan Kelly, that he's for, of course, for lowercase, you know, letters. Everyone is, right, I think, right. where they'd say they are. But he's even for capital letters, but he's not for blacklivesmatter.com. And now I was like, I don't even, I don't even oh, know. I thought that was all the same. Now, um, hmm. just because I'll let him say it on the air himself, but I did have someone who I would trust his opinion. It's not just a friend who reads a lot, but... Um, who does have concerns that Russia is behind Black Lives Matter. Do you know I've never much heard about that, that organization? Have, Do you? So I've never been on the Black Lives Matter website. 
Um, I've heard some of the arguments against Black Lives Matter from conservative outlets. I've heard, um, I've heard much of the support for Black Lives Matter as an organization. Um, and I think, I mean, listen, we have to always weigh what we're affiliating ourselves with. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing to affiliate yourself with Black Lives Matter as an organization and determine if you agree with the stance and the tenets of an organization. You know, you do that with the Rotary Club. You do that with everything. So what what's interesting about Black Lives Matter is that the name of the organization and the entity jumped the culture and became um, a much broader tagline and a much broader um, war cry and a necessary one. Honestly, it's just a necessary one. And so it's, it's tough, I think for, um, for some folks, particularly white folks to, to, or maybe they're not always willing to separate out the BLM organization versus Black Lives Matter as a statement of truth right. and as a statement of recognition of years of oppression, right. as a need of saying there, there is something that needs to be fixed. The only reason that lowercase b, lowercase l, lowercase m, Black Lives Matter needs to be said is because our history hasn't proven that to be the, the case. Our history hasn't proven that to be true. So despite the fact that the Constitution says that all Americans should have to be able to pursue happiness and um, have um, have life and liberty, mm-hmm. well, black lives haven't gotten to live fully for good chunks of this American history. Um, black lives haven't gotten liberty for good chunks of this American history. And so... That is worth talking about. That is worth talking to my children about. That is worth um, us as a society talking about. That's worth us as white people talking about and wrestling through that. And so um, that is, to me, that is one of the the best things that has come from all of the conversations, all of the, yeah. the push. And so I'm willing to sort of separate wheat and chaff you know, it, you know, it's a good, yep. you know, sort of separating wheat and chaff, you know, straight from the, the Bible. Um, and that's, you know, I'm willing to separate wheat and chaff and go, it is good for us to talk about these things. Um, I probably, if I were to look at the Black Lives Matter website and all the things that they stand for, based on some of the things I've heard, if those are true, I would, I'm sure, struggle with yeah. some of those things. Yep. Um, or flat out just not support. But I can get behind... Black lives mattering in our world, by the way. Let's not just limit it to the United States. Um, that has not always been the case yeah. historically. I think that's extremely well said. I mean, I've read books this year that I wouldn't have otherwise. I know a lot of people that read a lot of books this year that they that they wouldn't have otherwise. So there's a they're very good kind of uh, wear-off effects of, of even, say, Black Lives Matter as a mission or a community or an organization. Um and uh, the just to mention real quick, the 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 person who told me that about potentially rushing behind BLM was not white, by the way. So that's probably sounds like that came from a white guy, but it <laughs> did not. Um, and then also, and this is where it got a little where I just 
I'd honestly, I'd love to have someone on here who's sort of an expert here to, sure. to dig into it because I have read through most of the BLM website. Okay. And honestly, there's a lot there that I agreed with, and then there's some I just don't know. Sure. And then there's, I don't know, there's a, there's a small percentage that I would disagree with, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, then you hear, you, apparently it's hard to trust the news, you know, and then you, you try to figure out where you can connect with other people who actually know what they're talking about. And this one guy just mentioned that. So I just didn't know. Um, I, I know there's a lot of people that are really very opposed to it as an organization. They would agree with it lowercase, but strongly yeah. opposed to it in or, as an organization. And I just haven't quite, I guess, gotten the facts or data that I'm looking for to uh, maybe understand where they're coming from. But Yeah, and I would say I haven't, I haven't dug in either. I know... Um, we have enough work to do to make all the lowercase versions of it, yeah. you know, um, meaningful and for, for true change to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I've just looked at, like, I know there's a big flurry of emotional activity over the capital BLM. And it's sort of like, I know that's there and I've just chosen to not weigh into that. Sure. At, perhaps it's a little bit of willful, willful ignorance, but I think that seems to be something that has been hugely politicized. Mm, yeah, I agree. And, um, and there's all this, this really good stuff that has kind of spun off of that. Mm-hmm. So that's some of the wheat that I think is, has spun off of this. And we've got a lot to work with right yes, there. Yep. And so I think I've just sort of said, let's, let me, let me lean into that and what I can learn there yep. and how that's going to impact is that's, Actually, that's very meaningful stuff. Yeah, totally agree. This is changing subjects, but I've been curious. I know you're you're um, interested and in, and in, and in well read theologically and so forth. You pay attention to to the church and have been an elder at your church and all of this. So, are there? I'm I'm curious if you're seeing particular trends in the church today, or maybe speakers or preachers or authors that are popular now or in the last year or two, nothing to do now with race or anything like that, but um, that you're concerned about or you think are exceptionally, you know, good? Any any newcomers on kind of that front or any trends you're seeing in the church that um, either for the good or or the bad? So I'm just trying to think. I think when I'm reading theology, I'm reading more dead people, mm. old dead people mm-hmm. than modern live people. Yeah. And so, um, I, because again, I mean, think about the year that we're in and with COVID and politics, how many religious leaders have weighed in and chose and have chosen to politicize yeah. whatever's going on in their situation. And so, I have found some of that helpful and interesting. I've found some of it unhelpful. Um, and so when I'm reading th- what I have found in 2020, if I'm reading something that's even 2019, theologically based, it is probably an old dead guy, uh, truthfully, more often than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's generally where I'm, I'm going. Yeah. Because I... I it kind of, I mean, it goes back to my prior point where I, I want to just weigh the information. I want to, I want to try to take it in and astutely look at it. And then if it's something current, I just want to be mindful of what is informing this current perspective. Yeah. 
I don't want to be overly swayed by the things that seem just hot topics today. I don't yeah. need another hot take on things. Right. I think that is a wise way to look at it is if there is a new trend or fad that, all right, let's see what it's about. Let's see what it's saying. But let's not assume. Maybe we should take a little bit of a hesitant look at it, at least initially. Because, I mean, we've the Bible's 2,000 plus years old, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and it's the inspired Word of God. So if something new is coming along, let's really make sure. I mean, we had 2,000 years for to arrive at a particular viewpoint that apparently now we're just arriving at. So that should be, not to say we don't keep learning new things, of course, but take a somewhat cautious view on latest trends and fads. Yeah, I think Americans want the, the, the latest. We want the best. Um, we are conditioned to be consumers, and that has bled into our churches and our theology. Yeah. And so I want to not give in to that yeah. easily. I'm not, uh, not that I'm saying like I can dodge it, but I want, to, I want to try my best to fight that. Yeah. Our pastors, where we go to church at Emmanuel Nashville, Andrew goes, there's two, by the way, that's where I met him. Um, tried, I mean, they, I would say they take pains to not express their political viewpoint. And... But then what was interesting was we had a pastor theologian on here from Christ Pres, a guy named David Filson, mm -hmm. and he has in his Instagram bio that he's a Republican. And his thought process was, you know, people deserve to know how he believes, and some of his best friends disagree with him. But at least they know where he stands, sure. and they can reason through and have a good conversation. So I just sort of saw that as like two different kind of viewpoints on there, and I think either one sort of works. I think what we would both agree with both Filson and, say, TJ, who, who doesn't come out with his political um, viewpoints, at least not publicly, um, would both agree on that the pastor who is, <laughs> you know, like, use, like bringing his political viewpoints across the pulpit and getting loud and proud with all, that gets, that gets out of it. It, it gets contentious and divisive, and now the Gospels does get a little bit clouded. So is that how you would see it as well? Well, every pastor needs to measure his words. Um, I think the pulpit is a unique spot to be. Um, but you're on the hook for everything that you say. And I think that's what, I think that's where some, some patient and some measured um, perspective comes in, into play here. Um, very few things are as simple in reality, as a tweet, or as a an, an aside comment or illustration in a sermon, and so I tend to want to push to very candid, very radical, um, hard, difficult, awkward conversations in person. Um, and so when the pastor is, is preaching, he's in a spot to speak truth to share the truth of the Bible. And where he can make applicable connections to today, he should. Um, but then he needs to know his congregation as well. Mm -hmm. he, needs to know, he needs to know how things are going to land. I mean, um, he's, not a, he's not a speaker who flies in. He's not a speaker. Yeah. He's a preacher. Yeah. He's a pastor. He's a shepherd. 
And so he has to know how to take that passage for the week and and present it in such a way that it will land with his congregation. And so there's a lot more to, to think about there um, than, oh, is he a political preacher or is he not a political preacher? Sure. And so, and some of it comes down to comfort level. I know there are people who are convictional on both sides of this topic who would say, you know, a, a preacher should absolutely, you know, get into certain political topics. I know others who would say, no, stay out of mm-hmm. those weeds, they would say, you know. So um, have, I'm not a, a preacher, um, but I think it, it is something to, there are times, there will be times, and are times that I think a preacher needs to weigh into political issues. Mm-hmm. And I think there are times where he needs to, not. Yeah. And my hope and prayer for him would be that he's wise enough to know the difference between the two. But I was going to say, we're trusting him to rightly divide the Word of God, so we should have some level of trust there right. at that level. As well. and, and if you're in an elder-led church, you know, there, there's a plurality of, of, of elders there who can help navigate that. Mm-hmm. You brought a couple of books. Can we take a look at those? And why did you bring I them? I did. What, These uh, are not theology books, by the way. So we're, <laughs> Another change we're of subject. Flip. That's okay. All right. So um, in preparation for this, you you asked if there are any books that I've read. And so, I, you know, in earlier this year, I so I typically read a lot. After the tornado, um, and then as COVID, like, because co- all the COVID stuff started happening about two weeks after the tornado, I was emotionally not interested in reading a thing. I couldn't listen to a podcast. I couldn't read. I couldn't do anything for several months. And it wasn't until about the middle of the summer that I started reading again. I started listening to podcasts again. I could not take more inputs. Ah, uh, you just couldn't take more content. I just did not need more information yeah. coming at me. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the books that I... I'll start with this one first. One of the books that I have picked up is Upstream by Dan Heath. So um, the Heath brothers... Are have written a number of really good books. Upstream is basically a book about how to deal with problems um, further up uh, the line before um, you sort of before they get worse. And so the opening illustration uh, imagines that that the two of us are out. Let's say we're out throwing a football by by a river here in in the Tennessee in Tennessee. And we see a, a small child floating down the river and, and splashing around and, and screaming. And so we run out, we rescue this child, we bring the child in for shore. And just as we're getting back on shore, we see another child. And so we run out, we get this child. And then just as we get this child in, we see another child. So we run out, we get this third child in on the shore. And just as, as we're getting this third child, we see a fourth. And yet, you're not with me to go out and get this child. You're actually getting out of the water and you're going upstream. And so mm. I ask you, Kent, where are you going? And you're saying, I'm going to go get the guy that's throwing the kids in this. <laughs> Seems logical. And so that's essentially what this whole book is about, is what's going on upstream that's causing the issues that you see today. Yeah, interesting. And so the whole the whole book's premise is to think how you think about that and how you look at processes and how you analyze and just what is your mindset. Mm-hmm. And do you look at today's problems as isolated to today, or is this indicative of something happening upstream? Uh-huh. Because if you could fix that, yes, it will work its way downstream. Yeah, so it's about like getting to the root of the problems. It is, and not putting band aids on bullet holes. Like getting, there you go. Yeah, okay. Yes, interesting. Now, it did you read this already? I did, but. 
there's no mark. There's no markings in here. What's going on? So there? I flip the pages down. You'll see that I'm oh, a, okay. I'm a, I'm oh, a, I see that. I have found out recently that is sacrilege in for certain people. Like they, they will not turn the pages down. Right. And so, did you do that? Do you do that on all your books? You just do that in case you want to pop some. Pages I do open that on in case I want. No, 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 I do. I do this when I read. Oh wow! Um, because what I will often do is I'll find a page, and um, so right here, this is this is how I'll do it. I'll find a page and then I'll bracket or underline sure. a section. Yeah. And so when I when I see the tab. I know that there was something there I want to see. Oh, interesting. And then I'll come back and find it. I see. Yeah, it just it just it just stood out to me that there's not a lot of markings and there's really not a lot of underlines in here. I don't I don't underline. Oh, okay. I don't underline. I, I'll bracket, I'll maybe make a quick note from hmm. time to time. Have you always done that? Um in recent years, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh this I see was copyright twenty twenty, so this is a brand new this book. This is a new book. And Correct. It was helpful, I assume. That's why you. Yeah, it. really good. And also, I mean, think about where we've been, and we're rebuilding an old company. Mm. And so, it's interesting to think back to what we were and what we're trying to be. And and what was I think very encouraging was much of this thinking was already in motion mm. um, as we've been rebuilding the company. The other thing that's interesting about that concept is I do feel like that explains a lot with where we're at right now politically in our country. Oh, listen! Right? You can you can ext- you can extrapolate this um, this thought into honestly about any realm. Yeah, you can think about it in terms of relationships and families and church life, work life, um, political life. I mean, yeah, I mean you you can't help but say let's not be short sighted and imagine that where we find ourselves today just happened. Today. Exactly, it, we didn't. We just happened yep. here. Yep. Yep. Love it. Thanks for bringing. All that. right, number two. This is a book I actually read um, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, Compelling People. Hmm. So Compelling People was, uh, was um, and this actually brought this for you. So this is your copy oh, wow. of Compelling People. I've purchased uh, loads of those really? um, because I've had a bunch of people at our company look read through it. Um, the bottom line, and so my friend Kay Gouda is the, is the, the gentleman who uh, recommended this book to me, and I referenced the heck out of this book right here. I would say it is the most referenced book I have read in a decade. Oh, wow. Um, because what it talks about is the two compelling features of any person are strength and warmth. And so there's a, there's a, a, a graph in here that talks about strength and warmth. And if you think about it, strength is a very compelling trait. And so the opposite of strength would be weakness. Mm-hmm. Warmth is also a very compelling trait, but the opposite of warmth is coldness. Mm-hmm. So warm people tend to be viewed as weak. So they may have one strength, but they have the other weakness. Strong people tend to be viewed as cold. So they have one strength, but they have the other weakness. So what this book is trying to help you understand is that the best case scenario that you could um, find, particularly as a leader, is how do you get more strength and warmth? How yeah. do you how do you maximize wow. both of those things? So it talks about that, and um, you can begin. You can find the, the the diagram in there, and you can actually almost say like, where am I as a leader in my organization? Am I more strong? Am I more warm? Am I viewed as a little bit cold? Um, and so it, it's a very interesting way to sort of think about. Um, 
leaders, think about people, think about where their tendencies are, and help pinpoint where they are and say, okay, now here's where you are. Where should you be? Mm-hmm. You know, and so I've used this. I'm on the board of the school my kids go to. I've talked about it there. I've talked about this in the church context among our uh, our elders. Work all the time. Talk about this with friends. So I've used this in uh, a load of conversations. And I, I just as recently as last week, I yeah. was I was drawing it on a napkin at a restaurant oh, with okay. a friend. So when you draw, what are you drawing? A, a pie chart or something, or like it a is, graph? Um, I'm just it. picturing like a no, 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 like a square, almost like you know, urgent, not important, oh, no. urgent, important. Where is it? See, this is this is brand new, so I don't have it marked. You don't have the page flipped over. There we go. Um, that is one of them. And I'm assuming this is where the editing will happen. I suppose. No. Um, okay, Space so to breathe is fine, man. Yeah. So <laughs> this is this is some of it. Okay. And if you had a whiteboard, I would I would draw the whole thing out. I've I've adopted uh, or adapted some of this uh, mm-hmm. into like a almost a cross or a plus sign. Mm-hmm. And so if you imagine the plus sign right here, if you've got um, warmth at the top, so call that north. You've got see this would be east for you right here, right? Yep. And so if you've got strength here, yep. so this quadrant is where you want to be, right? So strength, yep. strong and warm, and yep. warmth yep. right here. Yep. But if this is warmth, that means being cold is over on this side. Yes. So that means there's a, there's a cold, strong quadrant up here. Yep. And so if you think about what those quadrants would begin yeah. to look like, then you start to think about who you are, say, in your marriage versus who you are in your work, mm-hmm. um, who you are as a leader around some people, but maybe not different people. Um, it can, it's a very interesting diagnostic. It is interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a fascinating book. And I'm assuming part of the premise of the book is that now that you're aware, you can change, or is it now that you're aware, you just need to have yeah. other people around you to so, complement? So the book is not overly prescriptive, which I okay. kind of appreciate. It's more just saying, here are things you can consider, and if you do this, you should know it's going to probably be perceived in this way. Yeah, okay. Even down to how people present themselves visually in like how in their attire. There's a whole section in there about women, we're sorry, but this is just how the world will view you in certain situations. Mm. So what do you want to do about that? So it's more of holding up mirrors and saying, here is what you are looking at in this mirror. Yeah. Now you can decide what you want to do with this information. I love books like that. That's fascinating. I'll give you a book recommendation if you haven't already read it, The Psychopath Test. Have you read <laughs> I have it? not read that. Holy no. cow, it's so hard to put down. Did you pass? Uh, I'm still reading the okay. book. Um, <laughs> did he pass? I haven't taken the test yet. Okay. Um, but it is, the author is, I think it's Ron Johnson. He wrote Men Who Stare at Goats, which I know is a movie, but apparently yeah. it was first a book. And I mean, honestly, he might be my favorite author. Okay. Yet. I mean, it is. This is this book. All right. It's like reading downhill. Every time you pick up the book and start reading, you just can't put it down. It's fascinating the way he okay. writes. I don't have it for you. Sorry about that. But thank it's you for right. this book. It's I really right. appreciate it. Yeah, you thanks bet. Thanks for bringing that one too. And thanks for coming on the podcast, man. Um, what else, Bill? Oh, I think what do you think about? I when think you, we've gotten into all sorts of things. What do you today? think about when you're trying to get to sleep? And I mean, you've got kids, and you're. Um, you're involved at school and you're involved at church. You're running a business with where the world's at. It's 2020. We had COVID. We have all, well, we have COVID. We have all these things going on. Um, like what's on your radar? If you're concerned about something, you know, in the last 12 months, say, what are those things? 
Um, it's hyper local. It's it's in my immediate vicinity. It's it's in my house. It's in my church. It's in the school that my kids go to, or it's in my business mm-hmm. or my family. I mean, so it's um, those are where we can affect the most change. Mm-hmm. And so. I don't want to get twisted off into what may be going on nationally or internationally. I feel the need to be aware, um, have some thoughts about it, and at least be wrestling through some thoughts about it. You know, mm-hmm. If you aren't sure what to think about something. But at the end of the day, I've got four kids that are going to go to sleep in my house tonight. I've got a wife who needs me to tell her that I love her and that, um, that, we're going to, we're going to be okay despite whatever may be going on. And, um, um, I've got responsibilities with 35 to 40 employees who need me to make good decisions so that we all have jobs this time next year. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've got, I'm one of nine elders at my church. So I want to make good decisions with those guys and we need to make sure that we're, we're being faithful to the roles that we have. I'm one of seven or eight members on the board at the school. And you make sure that we're making good decisions for the future and growth of this little school. So those are, those are things I have a direct hand on that I can directly influence. um, In addition to all my friendships and my family relationships and all that. So, um, so to the question of what am I thinking about at night, it's going to probably be in one of those yeah. categories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's a sign of a responsible, busy, dependable, a responsible, dependable, wise man. And they're usually pretty busy. Yeah. I think er, at, about an hour ago, you asked me what else I do with my time or like, what do I do? We we're yeah. talking about dreams and yeah, like, where yeah. do you spend time or kind of started maybe down this path of what do you spend time on and, and when your dreams are maybe put on the side or whatever, like, I don't have time yeah. for a lot of other stuff. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like, it's family, it's work, yep. it's church, it's this school. Um, man, if I could get a workout in, that would be nice. I should do that more. <laughs> um, I'd like to read some too, you know, I, I, so, I mean, you got to have time to read, read some books, make sure, yeah. and, and then spend, give all the people who need time, time. Yeah. So I don't feel, I cannot, I don't feel good about playing golf in this stage of life. Sure. Yeah. I, can I can't, that. I can't get behind that right now. Yep. Yep. That makes total sense. Anything else you want to talk about? Nah, I think that's it. I think we've, we've done it all. Bill Seaver. Thanks, Thanks for coming. Bye, man. All I really right, appreciate man. it. Appreciate it.